came from the Homebrew Computer Club as a modern raycasted 2.5D game for the Apple II. It's going to go over the concept, the technology, and how to play it. <laughs> Thanks, David. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Um, this is a, a, a game that I wrote uh, back for the 30th anniversary of the Apple II. And I'm just going to talk about uh, kind of how I came up with the concept and uh, some of the technology behind it. And lastly, I'll, I'll show you actually how to get through it if any of you either bother want to play it. Um, but for this presentation, you could probably uh, classify the topic as uh, stupid computer tricks. <laughs> so that's pretty much what it is. Um, but this is uh, really what happened the day was showed off the Apple II at the home <laughs> the untold story. But Going back a little bit uh, in real Apple II history, uh, Castle Wolfenstein was uh, a really interesting game. We, you know, probably all remember the first time we saw it on the Apple II. Um, it was uh, and the concept was wasn't just running around shooting everything. It, it involved the concept of stealth, which was a little unique. They kind of set up a little bit of a, of a new genre. Um, Silas Warner was the author of, of Castle Wolfenstein. And uh, the bad guys were really, you know, they're good bad guys. Mm -hmm. um, but the graphics, I guess it was state of the art for 1979, whenever it actually came out. But they didn't really set the world on fire. I mean, they weren't stunning. They were just they're cool graphics, but they went along with the game. Uh, one of the most interesting things was the usage of digitized sound. I mean, Bob Bishop was talking about his uh, technology where he did Apple Talk or an Apple Listener. And so I was going to use kind of <coughs> the same concept to use digitized voice for the bad guys. And they would say stuff in German, I don't remember what it was. But when you came around a corner and the German would see you, they'd say, you know, that's kind of what it sounded like. I could never figure out what it was. But, um, but it kind of brought some new concepts out. And so when I was thinking about what I wanted to do for the 30th birthday of the Apple II, I kind of went back and I was trying to think of you know, what games really established themselves uh, in the computer industry and how to incorporate aspects of those games. Uh, because quite honestly, I'm not a game developer. I, you know, I, I do graphics. That was my career, not game development. So it's kind of a stretch. So I kind of had to look at what was successful on the Apple II in order to just figure out how I wanted to actually go about designing a game as a non-game designer. So Castle Wolfenstein, in my mind, really established uh, a great concept for a game on the Apple II. Apparently, I wasn't the only one. Uh, the follow-up to that was the game we all know, Castle Wolfenstein 3D, uh, done by you know John Carmack of, of id Software, and it really redefined the concept of what a game could be. This is a you know, really the first popular first-person shooter, and it established more of the just run around and shoot everything you see concept, which is 
kind of where we are today still. Uh, <laughs> you know, so the game concept perhaps wasn't uh, as interesting, but the technology was fantastic. And who remembers the first time they saw Castle Warfenstein 3D and your jaw went, you know, on the ground? So thinking of this this way myself, uh, wouldn't that be cool if an 8-bit Apple II could pull off a similar kind of uh, technology concept? Uh, Castle Wolfenstein 3D, you know, is a, is a two and a half D ray caster, and what that means is that uh, you have a two D map, really, and as you do a, a ray casting from your from your position into this map, it uh, it figures out where intersects walls, objects, and whatnot, and based on just the depth. It draws a scaled scan line, but not a horizontal scan line, a vertical scan line, a column based on the intersection of this ray in 2D space intersecting you know, a wall. And as you can see, most of the walls, even in this picture, are all pretty much on a grid. There's no crazy you know, 45 degree angles, and there's no stairs, there's nothing going up and down. It's, it's pretty simplistic. But the effect is still pretty good when you get a really high frame rate. You know, it's very, very immersive. And uh, and John Carmack is you know a wizard programmer. So even on the hardware of 1992, which if you think back then, you know that was the the the, the 486, you know 75s were were pretty prevalent back then. This is still pretty low in hardware. VGA running 320 by 200 was the graphics hardware that it ran on. Um, so it really established the next genre that, again, we still kind of have today. So, I thought, well, how about implementing a similar technology <laughs> that would have been absolutely amazing in 1977? And so, I made a bunch of just tests, trying to you know figure out <coughs> could a one megahertz, eight bit, sixty five oh two, really pull this off? And you know I, I fiddled around with it a little bit. Um, I also had to come up with other technologies to make it, as I thought, a, a good game, and that uh, graphics was only part of it. Input and sound were the other part of it. So I had an idea of doing a routine that would combine reading the X and Y axes of the joystick with sound output, all doing that simultaneously. I don't know if anybody is familiar with programming a joystick, but traditionally what you do, you would read one axis and then you would read the other axis. But there is interaction between that. So if you read one too quickly after the other, you get this uh, this issue where the, the, the capacitors don't reset in time, and so you get kind of crosstalk between your, your, your X and Y axes. However, you can, with clever programming, read both simultaneously. Now, you lose a little bit of precision in your joystick. You don't have a value of, say, 0 to 255. But for a game, you know, just having maybe four or five you know, positions 
is usually pretty sufficient in terms of are you moving slow, are you moving fast, are you moving really fast? And then the idea of integrating a little bit of uh, sound output with it so that you wouldn't have you know, these long pauses while you make a sound and then your, your game kind of comes to a halt. So many of the Apple II games, you'll notice they make kind of like a little stuttering noise as they go along because they're trying to keep the gameplay going along while generating the sound. So I uh, kind of put a, a, a little demo together and uh, kind of released it to Compsys Apple II back in uh, January of 2007. And I wanted the full retro experience, so I thought, I'm going to develop this on the Apple II. Well, God bless the people who wrote these games back in, in the day and these old primitive tools, because I tell you, it's not easy. Um, you know, nowadays, we are so used to having you know IDEs and, and really fast CPUs that when you hit you know assemble, boom, it's done before your <laughs> finger comes off the inner key. Well, I pulled it off for the demo, and I'll show you quickly what I. Um, what I released. Now I am running an Apple II C Plus, so I'm going to restart this in one megahertz mode because otherwise it'd be entirely too fast. Uh -huh. The reason why I actually have a, a, a true piece of hardware here as opposed to an emulator because it actually runs a whole lot better on real hardware. Uh, a lot of emulators don't like some of the tricks I do with trying to read joysticks simultaneously while putting sound. Um, so it actually is best. If it doesn't work right in Sweet 16, let me know. So. Well, it doesn't work right on an Apple II GS, period. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it does work. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> it kind of does, but I like to, you know, cap on the Apple II GS if I can. So this was just a um, the demo that, that I released. And the concept here is, um, real hardware, the cable always getting wet. Now, I am using low-res graphics. I'll get this this in a second. Um, we'll talk about why I'm using low-res graphics. Can anybody tell that's a door? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. 
what happens when you go through it. I just opened it. Use the um, for this demo, you just press the lower button, and the and the door actually magically disappears so you can go through it. <laughs> uh, these are windows. Can you tell that's a window? Yeah. So this is the demo. Now, what's interesting about this demo, believe it or not, this is not page flipping. This is actually rendering each frame, starting from the left side, per column, all the way across. So you can see how fast, even in this demo, you can kind of catch a little bit of the, uh, of the tearing, but, but it's pretty darn fast. Um, so this was this was the demo, and you can kind of run through. These. It's it's just running through this this map. Yeah. Just important to know the, the windows right now are um, flat images, not they are. They're just flat. You can't actually go through them or anything. They were just uh, they're decoration. Okay. So that was our our demo. But why did I do the things in that demo like I did? Uh, the case for low res. We have a one megahertz, eight bit CPU. You know, we're not running high res at 20 frames a second. It's just can't push that much memory. So the, the high res, you know, it gets no love. It really doesn't. I mean, we play, we see Pong on it, you know, from the DOS demo disc, you know, but that's about it. What lemonade stand? I mean, come on. So, low res needed some love. That's what I wanted. And but what it, what it also gives you not just colors, but it gives you frame rate. And and for the game I wanted, it was all about frame rate. It was about a you know a, a, a first person I won't say a shooter, but a first person stealth. So it had to have a really interactive frame rate. Other thing is, because it is full screen, it's more immersive. If you have a fast frame rate, you can forgive a little bit of resolution to get that fast frame rate where you can spin around and move quickly through an environment. So uh, afterwards, somebody was, was showing me some other kind of a 3D raycast type of games that ran in a little tiny window in high res, which was, which was still pretty impressive. But it didn't give you that immersive feel, feeling. It's like running, you know, Quake in you know a little window in the corner of your of your desktop. It's just not the same thing as going full screen. And so, in order to get this really fast, uh, the renderer to get it particularly fast is uh, I had to unroll the entire rendering loop per column. So, unrolling the loop for high res would have been like really, really long. But in, in low res, you know, you have basically 48 pixel high columns. Unrolling that's not too terrible. And, uh, and so you can pull that off of 6502 pretty reasonably well. For the sound and input, this was actually as much of a challenge as the graphics. So for sound on the Apple II is fully CPU driven. It toggles the speaker and goes click. If you do that fast enough, it makes a tone. The analog input can, as well requires the CPU to basically set a trigger and then pull on a bit until it goes high and then you know, okay, that's how long, or how far you have moved your joystick, how long it takes this capacitor basically to charge. 
So they're very CPU intensive operations, and you can do basically nothing else while they're going on, unless you combine them in a very clever loop that is pulling both axes <coughs> and toggling the speaker at the same time. That requires a loop that has to make multiple decisions, but it has to execute the same frequency regardless of whether a, a sound is being played or a speaker is not being toggled or you've already reached the limits on one of your joysticks axes. So the, the downside of, of doing all this work in this one loop is you do not get the full resolution of the joystick. I kind of mentioned that. So I think the resolution of the joystick is, uh, I think, 32, 0 to 32 on each axis. And your palette of tones is greatly diminished. So you don't get any frequency you'd like. Um, so those are the trade-offs of doing something that way. But the benefits are you, you have a, a consistent timed input and sound routine that, that doesn't arbitrarily affect the speed of, of, the, of the actual rendering loop the rest of the game. There's a con consistent time allocated for that. And that's kind of important when you're trying to do a, a fast render game. Let's see. Mass textures. <coughs> so of course, a lot of the games that of, of the Apple II era, uh, you know, flat shading was pretty much, if, if you did any type of maze game, actually they're all just blank walls, they're black. And maybe you saw the outline in white or something like this, and you just kind of chunk, 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 you know, you move you know, one block at a time. So, I, um, for the uh, actual textures, I wanted them to be true textures. So I picked a 16 by 16 texture map, an image, for things that would be, you know, the walls, like, you know, the, the door, the window that didn't really look outside, but looked like it looked outside. And 16-16 size texture isn't a whole lot. You're not going to get a lot of detail. You're not going to get uh, text, for instance, written on the wall. You're not going to get, um, well, you're not going to get much of anything, to be honest with you. But what you are going to get is some hints that will help you differentiate the, the 3D aspect of, of our actual level map just enough to make up for the low res resolution. Of, of the actual screen. Our level map, I, I created a 32 by 32 uh, level map, and that has something to do with how much memory each level would take, plus when you do the ray casting, how many bits of precision you have to keep as you run, it's called a DDA, uh, an incremental line algorithm that goes through this 2D map and you figure out where it intersects. So, a couple of like technology-driven decisions uh, left me with this, this, uh, these dimensions for for the actual level map and the texture maps. And then for the uh, for the original demo, I didn't have you know, there's no tools for this kind of stuff, so I typed them in by hand. I got my graph paper out, and I, you know, figuring out what color everything is, and type in the you know hex numbers into Merlin. Tedious to say the least. So I figured that wasn't going to be the way going forward. Which finally leaves the Escape from the Home View Computer Club 3D, which is what I 
finally took all the technology, kind of took the concepts of Castle and Wolfenstein, you know, the actual, some of the rendering technology from Castle and Wolfenstein 3D, and came up with the silly premise that includes Waz. It was the 30th birthday of the Apple II, so of course you had to have Waz in there somewhere. <laughs> and uh, we'll get to the actual premise. But I added a couple things to truly make it a game environment. And that is you have to have sprites. I mean, you can't just have walls and doors and expect to have a game. You have to have sprites. And a sprite is just like a, a 2D image that, that is scaled, it's like the uh, Castle Wolfenstein, it's the bad guys, it's the um, items that you interact, the power-ups. So we needed to, I needed to have some kind of a, you know, additional uh, component to the, to the graphics screen. So I added uh, the capability to draw sprites in the screen. I also kind of thought some other fun kind of things to do. Uh, one is animated textures. And this will come up when we actually see the game. But I thought, wouldn't it be fun to have textures that are able to change on a timely basis? So they're animated. Um, you know what we'll show that a little bit. Um, you know, when you have bad guys, they got to do something. They can't just stand there. So I had to, uh, in the spirit of making a, a stealthy game is have bad guys that could see, once they saw you, they would start chasing you. So you have to be real careful in the game to avoid bad guys. I didn't want Waz to be carrying a gun. <laughs> it's just not in the spirit. You know? So... <laughs> You know, segway with spikes on the wheels, but not a gun. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, maybe that's pretty much the segway. But you know, Oz is a, is a pretty nice guy. He can't be shooting people. So the game had to be not as violent as, say, Castle Wolfenstein 3D or even Castle Wolfenstein. So he has to be stealthy. And I imagine, I can imagine Waz being a pretty stealthy guy if he had to. He's big, but stealthy, you know. Um, but the, but the bad guys, their AI is, if they have line of sight to you, then they become activated and they start chasing you. Now they're not real fast, but, um, but they will not stop until you are dead. Kind of like a trick. That's actually not true. Once they lose sight of you, then they kind of give up. Or, as we'll see, I had opening doors in the demo. Now they don't just disappear. Doors are actually part of the game. So you can actually close a door or a door will close on its own after a few seconds. So you can use doors strategically in the game. I also decided that uh, I needed to take advantage of modern tools and Merlin was just not gonna cut it even, even on an emulator. So I switched to uh, CC65 using their assembler and tool set, which uh, made life infinitely easier. Uh, Virtual 2 on the Mac yeah. is also fantastic. Yeah, the debugger is great. Isn't it? Yeah, it, it, it would be really hard to do some of this stuff without being able to break in, get machine state, figure out you know what went off in the weeds. So highly recommended. It's basically embedded programming nowadays. Uh, excellent 
uh, way to do hardcore development on the Apple II, or even easy, you know, simple development on the Apple II. Other thing, hand coding maps based on uh, graph paper was no longer going to cut it either. So I wrote a map editor. This is in fact uh, the third level of, of the game. So you may recognize this uh, later. Uh, but I still want that retro feel, so I wrote it in Apple Soft Basic. Now I detest Apple Soft Basic. <laughs> and uh, it's an absolute mess in terms of code, but it's also incredibly slow. And so you can't even run it on, on actual hardware. Even accelerated hardware is just impossible. So I run it under virtual two on mats and speed setting, and it actually kind of is useful in that, in that regard. But it allows you, um, this is the top-down view. This is almost not what the original castle wall design looks. You can set textures for the walls. These little green guys are doors. These. Uh, Little pink squares are bad guys. Blue things are power-ups. And you can have individual, uh, there are settings for, for each of those, so uh, you can go in and, and tell, say, which bad guy it is, which power-up it is, and which actual texture it is. Um, so th this is what I used to, to actually create the levels. It made life much, much, much easier. image editor for textures and for sprites. Each level gets uh, uh, 16 textures, images to work with. So this right here would be our evil IBM guy. You can see he's got the blue suit on <laughs> and the red eyes. So he's definitely evil. Um, in the image, these are the colors that you have to select from the palette. And uh, again, this is Texture number, and you can't see here, but there's like a little cursor you can move around and, and set the individual colors. One of the grays, you know, although they look different here, they're actually on a real apple too. They look the same. So one of them is actually alpha. So what you see gray around here is actually uh, see-through. It's, it's, it's an alpha of zero. So uh, and when you see this in the game, you only see the blue and the hair and the, and the red eyes and the face. You don't see you know, the whole square around. Again, this is uh, not the world's fastest AppleSoft basic program. You want to run it in an emulator, but you know, thank God we got those now. Um, made life a whole lot easier. Okay, now let's, uh, let's switch over here. <coughs> And to go from demo to actually uh, the original version of the game was about, I think, two months of development. <coughs> Later versions, I actually did a Prodox <coughs> version so you can install it on your CFFA or, or hard disk so you're not stuck with uh, DOS 3.3 as, as in the original demo. So this would be the opening scheme. 
But this is the uh, 300 baud modem emulation. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. That you're getting your assignment. Uh, I get, I, can you guys all see that? Yeah. Okay. So it's the legal minions of Tandy, Atari, and Commodore out to get you. for that, but truly, truly play it. Uh, button one opens the door, button two, you can move side to side, kind of like strafe mode in the, in the big game, and then you can press them together and you will flip 180 degrees so you can do what's going on behind you. Wow. Okay. Now, this very first level, it was kind of paying homage to those original maze games that we would type in from you know our, our computer magazines, where you, you know, see the outline of, of the walls all like a grid. Um, the other thing I changed is I have two screen modes. This is sort of a, a status display. So down here we actually have our, our time, and believe it or not, this this game is uh, keeps fairly accurate timing, all in software. There's no interrupts going on. There's no clock card being pulled, and I figured out roughly what my frame rate was in each mode, and I used that to keep a timer, which um, is actually fairly accurate, believe it or not. This is the status display. It is rendering less, but you'll see it, it, it runs pretty reasonably fast. I can go full screen, and it's just a smidge slower. So there are now more pixels to render. The other change in this over the uh, original demo is this is, in fact, double buffered. So I'm using both page one and two of the low res screens to avoid the flicker. That's more because of the sprites that are now uh, rendered on the screen to uh, keep those from flickering. Unfortunately, it meant there was four times as much unrolled code to write. <laughs> so again, this is just uh, what it would look like in those original games. Well, now it's a full-on walkthrough. You have you know, full movement. That was my little homage to, to the original maze games. What they'll do on this other side comes through, and now we see that door that's left over from the uh, from the uh, demo. Now I don't know if you guys can hear that, but yep. uh, I'm here. my speaker volume is up all the way. This is uh, the sound now. I'm a graphics guy. I am not a sound. I have <coughs> zero musical talent, so I wasn't. A, about to go and try to put some music score in there, but um, but sound effects I can do. <laughs> but now you see we've switched to a room that has actual textures that look 
almost like something besides just black and white. Now, who can tell me what that looks like? Anybody? Dr. Pepper? Dr. Yeah. Pepper. <laughs> Sorry, Rich, I'm a Dr. Pepper fan. <laughs> so these are our power-ups. Nice. You know, if I know what that is, M&M's, yeah. That's a big M&M. Yeah, it's a very big M&M. Coffee? Coffee. And that may be a little harder to figure out. That's a Snickers bar. Right. Okay. Once, uh, that is a Snickers bar. So now my, I guess I should mention, now my energy level has gone up now that I've had my power-ups. And once I'm above 85%, if I hit one of these power-ups, it won't take it. It'll just leave it there for later until I, I run out of energy. But as I move around, my energy starts to drop. So now I'm down to 89%. So throughout the game, you have to kind of watch your energy level. If you do encounter a bad guy and he attacks you, you start losing energy very, very fast. So once you get to zero, game over. So since I laid out the map, I know exactly where everything is. <laughs> and let me show you, this is the, uh, how you slide back and forth without turning. So this is uh, the, the stealth aspect of the game, is you can uh, kind of peek around the corner, you know, see if anybody's there, <coughs> get back. Uh, for instance, if I open this, what do I find in here? Oh, no! He's got me. Okay, so I have to run, you know. Up. He's still after me. And when the uh, bad guy has got you, the only way to escape is to basically take your joystick and move it rapidly back and forth. You're trying, you're struggling to break free. If you just stand there, he'll just keep beating you up and grab your apple too and you're done. So, if you're low on energy, you'll probably end up closing <coughs> I'll get my Snickers bar. Oh, there it is. Okay, I'm gonna run down this hallway. The field of view isn't super great, so it gets a little claustrophobic. Uh, that has to do with some of the technology. When I did the Raycaster, there's a lot of, it's all just a trick. It's not very, very difficult. But uh, we're all used to, you know, angles and, you know, degrees or radians. Well, I did my degrees in 256. <laughs> because that works really great in an 8-bit system, so I have my whole circle is defined by 256. And uh, my field of view is calculated by 1, 128. So in order to make all this stuff fast, you kind of have to make some compromises. So the field of view probably could be better. And the other thing people might start to notice is, I'll actually see it more up oh, there's a bad guy, but look, there's the arrow to get us out. <laughs> well, this is the level two. One thing you'll notice um, is the issue called fisheye. And this has to do with the way the raycaster operates. So you're standing, standing in one position, and imagine you're shooting you know, a line, kind of in an arc from where you're looking. Even though we have straight walls, due to the way that these rays are shot, kind of in an arc, it intersects the wall in, in a way that the, the depth is, is not linear. So 
other games, what we'll have is you can actually apply a correction to this quite easily. Uh, I did, in fact, apply the correction. I have some code that I commented out because I added it very late in the game, so to speak. And the, the um, precision of the math that I used was very, very tight. Ended up with some slight errors. So when you come up to a wall, instead of being perfectly straight, every once in a while, there'd be one column, not quite the right height, so we'd have a, a one pixel problem. And in the lower end of the graphics screen, with one pixel, it's really, really noticeable. So I figured with this field of view, with this uh, you know, resolution, the fisheye wasn't such a bad thing. Uh, get the frame rate up. But notice in this room here, all we have is one door. But notice that something also different from the previous uh, levels. We have a gray floor and a white ceiling. So we have a little more variation going on now than in the previous level. And the textures try to help out with the 3D aspect, again, in this low, low resolution. So my corners, I put some contrasting colors just to help you figure out where where edges are, where lines are. Is that is that in the texture? Or is that something you're doing at render? Time? It is in the texture. Okay. So creating textures that work at this resolution was a bit of a challenge. So that you could get a feel for what they were supposed to be without either having too much, you know, what's called aliasing, where you're only sampling part of the texture and it just turns into a big noisy mess, or, you know, or something that's just entirely too bland. So here is uh, the only door we have in this room. So as we open this door, something happens. Oh. <coughs> what's going on here? Well, this is... It's the matrix. It is the Matrix. <laughs> These are those nice. crazy walls from the Matrix. They have characters, green characters running up and down. Well, low res doesn't afford us characters. It gives us green blocks. And here we can see it's just cycling between two textures. Not, not very exciting, but at least it's doing something. Kind of confuses the, uh, the scene. And uh, back here. Now confused myself. There you go. Our doors are now green again. Oops, that was where I came from. Okay. And when you're in the matrix, what do you have? A blue hill. Blue hill. hill. <laughs> I think I mentioned this in the video. I couldn't remember if it was the red pill or the blue pill you were supposed to take, so. Blue looked better than red in low-res graphics, so <laughs> blue it is. Those are our power-ups. So you have different power-ups for every level? Yeah. And they're, they're basically just a sprite, so they do all exactly the same thing. They're, they're just uh, theme-oriented for levels, so to speak. Cool. Now, on this level, we don't have guys from Andy or Atari. What do we have? Smith, right? Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. and he doesn't like us. 
that uh, whatever I develop works across the board on all the Apple IIs. A double O res would definitely be a, a step up, but only runs on the two E's. And my goal is to always make sure that this runs on the very original Apple II all the way up to the kind of the 2GS. Yeah. Have you sent this to Waz? Uh, yeah, I sent it to his uh, email account, but I don't think he's all that interested. You know, this is old history. Did, when you, on the map editor, you did it in, in basic on the Apple II in the emulator. Did you consider generating that on a non-Apple platform? Because, I mean, you could have made a map editor on anything. Yeah, I could have, and I probably should have. <laughs> you know, I thought I was going to pound something out real quick. I thought, oh, I'll just you know, do the retro thing and do it in Applesoft Basic. Just you know, because originally I was going to do everything in Merlin, and uh, yeah, I, I probably should have done that <laughs> in retrospect. Um, and, and again, this was you know supposed to be for the the, the 30th anniversary, so. And going back to Eric's question, I want to make sure it worked across all the machines. However, when I was uh, testing it out on everything from my you know, Rev Zero Apple to the Apple II GS, I noticed something odd happening on the two GS. I have a you know, ROM one two GS, and boy, it just didn't look right at all. Come to find out that I always seem to uncover bugs in the two GS. The two GS did not implement page two of low-res graphics. When you go in that little control panel, you ever wonder what that alternative display mode was? I didn't know what it was. What it does is it emulates page two of low-res graphics by, during an interrupt, copying that memory in page two to page one so you can see what it is. And that's what it, on, a, on an Apple IIG, this will actually flicker quite a bit because it's trying to do this, this thing in the background of updating the, uh, the two pages of low-res graphics. So that was a little frustrating. Um, another reason why I have this animosity towards the Apple IIGS. Anything else? I'll, I'll put this upstairs and throw it on that big screen maybe if anybody wants to play with it. How, how long did it take, like, you know, once you started Escape, how long did it take? Uh, yeah, the technical um, investigations, I think I started probably around October of 06, just playing with some of the ideas and concepts. And uh, I don't have an awful lot of time to play with these things, so you know, you kind of have life in the middle. Um, but I kind of got inspired once I saw the demo and was satisfied that the, that the demo was, was sufficient to go with the game. So. The actual game from, from demo to game went pretty quick. Right? Okay, cool. Thank you.